I think in one way or another, every one of us can identify with times where we've had to say goodbye to someone. And when we say goodbye to them, thinking that they're going to take a trip, or as I know, uh, some families here have had to do with loved ones who are off on their way to college, or maybe you've had the opportunity to say goodbye to someone uh, who is moving to another place uh, in the world or in the country, in the state. Uh, some situations are such where you're not sure if you're going to see that person again. I think of the unique experience of saying goodbye to a loved one that's being deployed to an area of war. And as you have those opportunities, be it uh, something not quite as dramatic as being deployed to war but off to college, there's a lot of enthusiasm and exuberance the individual off to college usually has, but a limited understanding of the problems that they may face. And parents are more acutely aware of the issues that will confront them. And if you as a parent are like me, when you think of that last occasion when you hug and embrace that loved one and you tell them that you love them, you try to think, what is the profound thing that I can say to be sure that it registers on the heart and mind of my son and daughter of what yet awaits them as they go off to college or pursue a new career or in some other place of the world instead of being with me? It's probably a misconception on the part of the parent to think that the child is any safer when they're with you than when they're away, but somehow we have that understanding. But I say all of that as a preliminary to what I would like us to think about this morning. We approach 2019 with a lot of exuberance. We approach this new year with the thought that there are beneficial things that are going to happen. And in many situations, there are good things that happen. But the reality is that as we approach this new year, the year is really filled with a lot of uncertainty. And we don't know. And like a son or daughter on their way to college, and in some ways individuals that are being deployed for conflict, there's not really a comprehension of what awaits and what dangers may be there. As I was thinking about getting us back on target for things that we'll study together this year, I was reminded of the fact that basically in the church, we are somewhat naive about the uncertainties that we are going to face as members of the body of Christ. When I look at the teaching of Jesus on that last occasion before the crucifixion and he had the opportunity to meet with his disciples, he said to them, know that in the world 
you are going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the world we'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Then I look at the writings of the New Testament. I look at Paul. I look at Peter. I look at John. And what do I find with each of them? Peter, for example, says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you as if some strange thing were happening to you. Or if I look at the writings of Paul in his epistles to Timothy and Titus, as well as to the warnings that he gives to each of the churches, he reminds them that in the midst of all of the uncertainties, what we can be certain about is the fact that we are going to face difficulties and trials and persecutions. If I look at what John has to say and I look at his letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he makes it very clear that in the church there are going to be difficulties that will come. And partly because not only of the opposition in the world, but the problems that are faced even within the church itself. So I thought, you know, I would be negligent if I didn't take a moment to remind us of the fact that you and I are at war. We so easily can become complacent. We can forget the fact that we are involved in a spiritual conflict that really has far more serious repercussions than whether or not someone loses his or her physical life. We are engaged in a spiritual conflict that has to do with our eternal destiny and the well-being of our very soul. When Paul had the opportunity to speak on the last occasion to the elders at Ephesus, recorded for us in Acts 20, notice how he reminds them, and through this record reminds us of that fact. When they had come to him in verse 18, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, and how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am bound in spirit. I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course with joy and solemnly testify of the gospel of the grace of God, which I received from the Lord Jesus. And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I uh, went about proclaiming the kingdom, will see my face no more. 
So here's his farewell address. I won't be with you again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw disciples, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on your alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In this farewell address given by the Apostle Paul, we know it's included in the book of Acts, which really is a reflection of the ministry of Peter and then the ministry of Paul. And the purpose of the book of Acts recorded or written by Luke was to really show the transition from the old covenant to the new covenant, from the nation of Israel to the church, which began in experience of the believers on the day of Pentecost. And Luke has included the information and material in this book in a way that we see the confirmation of Peter as the apostle to the Jews and then Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles. And in this record that Luke gives us in Acts chapter 20, we have a very unique message that remains in the record, in the historical record of the book of Acts. No other message given by either Peter or Paul fit into the category of this one that is really a farewell address that Paul gives to the elders of Ephesus as he is on his way to Jerusalem. Now, Paul will write to the church at Ephesus later on. Uh, This is somewhere around 56 A.D. and somewhere around 61 or 62 A.D., We have the book of Ephesians itself written, but as far as personally seeing these individuals again, that did not happen in the life experience of the Apostle Paul. And I take it that he very carefully considered, what is it I need to say on this last opportunity I have to minister to those with whom I ministered together for three years. You know, if we think of the church at Ephesus, it was really greatly blessed by apostolic ministry, not only founded by the Apostle Paul and his time with them, he sent Timothy to be with them for a period of time to carry on the ministry that he had with them. We know that John the Apostle spent time with the church at Ephesus as well. And it's one of the churches that Jesus Christ mentions in the book of Revelation as a full picture of the condition of the church. And in a very similar fashion, if we look at the book of Jude, here is Jude, and he says, you know, what I'd like to do is I'd like to just sit around with you. 
I'd like us to talk about our Christian experiences. I'd like to write to you about our common salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. But instead, he says, I need to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. And you know why? Because certain men have crept in unaware. In the midst of the people of God, there are savage wolves that are not sparing the flock. And even in in the leadership role of the church, be it in an academic setting or be it in a local church setting, there are individuals, he says, who will seek to speak perverse things for what specific purpose? To exalt themselves and draw the disciples away to the uh, away with them. And so as we go into 2019 and we look at the reality of all the wonderful things that God has done and we reflect upon the great blessings that we have enjoyed in this land of the free, what we need to remember is that there is a price that is associated with freedom, and that price is eternal vigilance. And instead of being complacent about what's going on in the church, there is the need for us to remember that as we look at the history of the church, there is one thing that we know to be sure, that the history of the church of Jesus Christ from the days of the apostles until today has been one of deviation from truth. And that does not stop today. And the need for a safeguard to prevent us from being a casualty of this spiritual warfare, our adversary, the devil, stalking around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, is to be placed in the keeping of God. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which alone is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Now, as we look at this section before us and we reflect upon it for our own sake today, we see that the commission that was given by Paul to a leadership in the church was for them to be awake, to be alert, to be on the guard. And what is it that they were to do? They were to be cognizant of the fact that subtle little deviations from truth were going to begin to permeate the community of God. And what was essential is that the church would be provided with the wholesome doctrine that would preserve their soul unto glory. In our earlier study today, we were looking at the reality of Christ speaking with Nicodemus. And it was uh, somewhat significant to recognize here was this religious leader by the name of Nicodemus, who Christ singles out as having a privileged position of teaching and training in the nation. He said, are you the teacher of Israel? Not just one of the many but the one that all the other Pharisees and many others are looking up to. The individual that people say, if somebody understands biblical truth, it's Nicodemus. 
Now, I don't know that he was of the uh, sphere of which Gamaliel and Hillel were to be found because those were the ones that were training so many individuals and even Paul himself would state that he was a personal student of them. But Nicodemus was a well-known teacher that others would look to to get a better understanding of spiritual truth. And what did we learn about him? He was ignorant of what was really most essential and preliminary. And what is it that uh, Nicodemus missed in all of his understanding of biblical truth? You must be born again. And what Nicodemus was told by the Savior is the fact that being religious doesn't get you into heaven. That being sincere doesn't get you into heaven. He was told of the fact that the flesh profits nothing. It's not the efforts of man that can get you into heaven. It is the work of the Spirit of God and only the Spirit of God that gives an individual new life. Now, why do I bring up Nicodemus? Because the teachers of the American church are not much different. We are assuming that because we're part of a denomination, maybe even a Bible church, because we did something on our be, uh, behalf to be acceptable to God, that that makes us one of his children. And the reality is it's the Spirit of God who has to accomplish that miraculous work of giving us new life. We have grown accustomed to thinking that individuals can do certain things, pray certain prayers, and all of a sudden they're guaranteed of eternal life. And the reality is only God can give life. And when God gives life, it is demonstrated because just as the wind blows where it wishes and you cannot see it, but you see its effects, so it is with everyone that's born of the Spirit. It's a recognition that this miraculous work of God of giving individuals eternal life is something that will be demonstrated in the life experience, not in its full-blown form, how do we start as babes in Christ? But we do grow, we do mature. We are being conformed more into Christ's likeness. We are being changed from glory into glory into the image of the Lord. And today in the American church, we're just complacent because somebody said, well, I'm a Christian. And we say, well, that's okay. Because we have a multitude of churches. They gather together to worship. But guess what book they ignore? The scriptures. The history of the church ought to teach us that there is a need for eternal vigilance. And the burden I felt for myself was the fact that we need to be reminded of that truth as well. That the only place of safekeeping is in the presence of God and under his care and in the word of his grace. It's not just becoming comfortable in our spiritual situation before the Lord but a realization that there is a spiritual battle that is raging. And what does Paul say needs to be done? He says, be on your guard for yourself. That's where it begins. It's not my looking around, be I a leader you know, within the church or an individual that professes faith in Christ. Where does it have to begin? Be on guard for yourself. It's to recognize my own individual walk with the Lord. 
And I need to be sure that that walk with the Lord is something that is growing and deepening. I can't become complacent about it. I can't substitute other things for just that personal time of growing closer to him to realize the importance of cultivating that relationship to him. And then if it is the recognition of paying attention to, of looking out for my own well-being as a leader within the church. It is not just for myself, but for all the flock and those individuals who make up the flock of Jesus Christ. These are not the members of a given local church. These are not individuals who have that position because this is where they find uh, that it is most in keeping with what they believe or understand. How do individuals enter into this relationship to be part of the flock of God? God purchased it by his own blood. We are members of the body of Christ because of the work of Christ and for no other reason. And as a person in a place of leadership, I can't think of any member of the body of Christ as someone that is um, related to me or dependent upon me. My role, my responsibility is to encourage their relationship with and their dependence upon the Lord. He is the one that has purchased each one of them. And so often what we find is individuals look upon what's happening in their ministry as if those individuals now have some particular relationship with them other than recognizing that I am an instrument in whom one believes or I am an instrument in whom one grows. But ultimately the price was paid by Jesus Christ and I have a stewardship to encourage that individual's walk with the Lord. Now, may I make an application that this does not end only with leadership? What did the writer of Hebrews have to say? He said, let's not abandon the gathering together as the habit of some might be, but let us consider how to provoke, how to stimulate one another to love and good works. And the responsibility in the body of Christ in God's wisdom, giving us this entity that we think of as the church, where we might minister to one another, encourage one another, and build up one another in love for the glory of Christ. It's a responsibility for us all. How did Paul say it when he wrote to the church in uh, Philippi? Let this mind be in you. Have this attitude in yourself. And what is that attitude? What is the outlook that God's people are to have? To consider the needs of others as more important than your own. And instead of thinking of myself as better than, of thinking of myself, well, here I'm doing what I should and they're not, a way in which lovingly we come alongside, we build up one another, we strengthen one another, we encourage one another, and why is it we do that? because of the activity of the evil one seeking to destroy and harm that which God has accomplished. There is no place for spiritual complacency in the body of Christ. Contentment with one's physical condition in life is the mark of a saint. Be content with what you have. Why? Because God's promised, I'll never leave you nor forsake you.
Contentment in one's physical condition in life is the mark of a saint. Contentment in one's spiritual condition is the mark of a fool. I have not yet obtained. I'm not yet conformed to the image of Christ. I'm not yet perfect. But with that realization, like Paul, I press on for the high calling that is mine in Christ Jesus. You and I are engaged in a spiritual warfare. And in the midst of that spiritual warfare, there is the importance for us to be concerned about our own well-being as well as the well-being of others who profess faith in Christ. And asking God that he might be kind enough to give me the wisdom to know how I can be an instrument in his hand to encourage a brother or sister's walk with the Lord. The ministry belongs to whom? To the saints. And the opportunity that we each have to be part of that great work. Not only did he say, be on your guard for yourselves and for all the flock, Notice down in verse 31, he repeats it again. Be on the alert. Stay awake. Be alert, a watchman. If a watchman is guarding the city, the perimeter of the troops, and he snoozes, what happens to the rest of those who are associated with that camp? They're harmed, they're injured. And so a leadership's responsibility is to recognize that we have a vigilance. But it is also the realization that I need to be aware of the fact that I am very vulnerable. I am vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. And Paul made it very clear when he amplified this truth in the letter that he wrote to the Ephesians. You familiar with the letter? What's the last major topic that Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 6? Put on what? The whole armor of God. Why? Because you don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And sadly, we've come to the place where we begin to think, that won't happen here. It may take place over there, out there, or somewhere else. It won't happen here. Or we may think that won't happen to me. The reality is we're so often blindsided by the unexpected trial that comes because of a failure to recognize Satan is not resting. And he is seeking to thwart and destroy the people of God. So what is it we need to understand? I think the first thing for us to understand and recognize is in the wisdom of God, the local church is not just an addendum or something that might be nice. But in the wisdom of God, the local church has been designed to be the very center and crux of the life of God's people. God's people gathering together in the local church, 
to mutually minister to one another and encourage one another is absolutely essential for the growth and the well-being of God's people. The second thing for us to comprehend and understand is the fact that God in his design gives spiritual leadership for the equipping, the training, and the uh, well-being of God's people. And if that is true, and I recognize that spiritual leaders are flesh and blood, just like me, if I recognize that spiritual leaders are not only subject to the same temptations, but in some situations more than is true of me, the first thing I ought to be doing is praying for those spiritual leaders. Even the Apostle Paul, in the admonition that he gave to the church at Ephesus about putting on the full armor of God, concluded that section by saying, be on the alert with all prayer and supplication for whom? For all the saints. And then he said, and pray on my behalf that I might speak the word of God with boldness and be delivered from the plots of those who are uh, seeking to destroy me. You and I need to recognize the great privilege we have of calling upon God in prayer for the well-being of my brother, my sister in Christ, but also for the individuals that God has placed over us. And the third thing that I think I need to comprehend and understand is that the real shepherd of my soul is not some human individual that has been given the responsibility to provide leadership for God's people, but none other than Jesus Christ himself. So don't fall into that very um, natural tendency to exalt Christian leaders like Paul rebuked the church at Corinth instead of recognizing that the ministry of those spiritual leaders is to make you more dependent upon Jesus Christ. How is it, Paul said, let me tell you how you're worldly? Because one of you says, I follow Paul. And another one of you says, no, I follow Cephas or Peter. And another one says, oh, not me, I follow Apollos. And he says, well, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're only servants through whom you believed. I planted, Apollos watered, but guess who gave the increase? God. And human instruments are just designed by God to be the channel by which his divine blessing flows to his people and it is never to draw disciples unto ourselves. So in our modern day, and I don't care whose name you put in there, and you say, I'm following the teaching of whatever human being it is, rather than being founded in the scripture and devoted to Jesus Christ. 
every human instrument has defects in his or her biblical understanding. Every human instrument is still a student of the word and growing in a comprehension of the word. And even though they have the privilege of teaching others the word of God, it is in a humble recognition that I am still learning more of the word of God as well. And no wonder Paul would say uh, to uh, the churches that they weren't to say that they were the followers of Paul or the followers of Apollos or the followers of Peter. Instead, they were to test all things. What were they to test it with? I commend you unto God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. It was to recognition, to recognize that God has given us his word as a safeguard to being led astray in spiritual truth. And why is it so important? After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And where else will it be found? From among, from out of your own selves. Church leaders, individuals who profess to be the followers of Jesus Christ who draw, seek to draw disciples after themselves, speaking perverse things. I would think it's a blessing to have one's name recorded in the scripture as being an individual that delighted the heart of God. Shall I hide from Abraham, my friend? What a great privilege. Of David, here's a man after my own heart. But on the other side of it, you also have recorded in the scripture a man by the name of Diotrephes. Recorded in John's third epistle as someone who wants to dominate and uh, overpower the local church. And he tries to keep all the disciples to himself, lifted up with pride, and therefore a hindrance to the things of God. Problems in the understanding of the church often come from spiritual leaders within the church. Wake up. Be on your guard. Be on the alert. The only place of safekeeping is I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I like the way Jude concluded his little letter. Now, to him who is able 
to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the throne of his glory, blameless with exceeding great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Tomorrow's a mystery. We can have great expectations for 2019. There's lots of uncertainties, though. But there's something that we can be certain about. Regardless of how calm everything seems to be in our American church experience, we're at war. And there is a spiritual conflict going on and the evil one is seeking to destroy and devour everything that is precious to God. Our need is to be on the alert, to recognize that God has provided us the resource to resist him and to not be devoured by him. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. The conclusion of the message, the elders with Paul all wept. They embraced and they hugged one another. They made it very clear that they were saying to one another, I love you and I thank God for you. And in the same way, we should be saying that to one another in this local church, to thank God for one another and that we love one another. But let it not be for us in this response of love one to another to fail to understand that in the world we're going to have persecution, that the evil one is actively at work. We may not see it on the outside, but we need to be on the alert. We need to be concerned about ourselves, and we need to be concerned about the well-being of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And the place of safekeeping is I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which alone is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all of those who are sanctified. Truly more secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. He is the one that keeps his own unto eternal glory.